Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And joining me this week from the bowels of his new Edinburgh abyss, it's CNET.com's Andy Hoyle. Hello. Now, I know that in your script you put Andy makes witty comment if he's able. I No, I didn't. I've got here, Andy makes an insightful or witty comment if able. If able. Yeah. I mean, the level of patronising there is, is hit absolutely new highs. And if you're one of our Patreon supporters, this is your extended ad-free version of the show this week. And thank you to patrons including Matthew Riley, Mike Escutia, Jess Christensen, Kenji Yoshino, Giles King, Richard Gunther, and Kyriakos Karanos, all of whom and many others are supporting us directly. And you can join them and get access to our full-length ad-free show and our Patreon-exclusive weekly sister show, which was a corker this week, if I say so myself, by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Let's swan into some news. Um, The BBC reported this week that firefighters were called to a farm near Bramham, that's in Leeds on Saturday, after something very unusual took place. Would you like to hazard a guess, Andy? I mean, I know you've read the script. Yeah, I've read the script, so I know. So I'm going to guess separately that... Um, I mean, it's a tech podcast, so I think that someone hadn't handed in their Galaxy Note 7 and it caught fire, causing a small barn to burn down. You're close, but there's no cigar and there's certainly no lit cigar. Um, A pig managed to set fire to its enclosure um, after it ate a pedometer and the batteries reacted with the animal's excrement and caused their bedding to become on fire become a flame become flames um and i'm reading this story because listeners may have the same overarching question as i did upon reading it which is what was a pig doing with a pedometer uh, which is used to measure steps or used for running i mean actually I, I know your face i'm looking at andy and i can see his face is actually the same as what my real first question was is were the pigs okay and i'm pleased to say that north yorkshire fire and rescue service told the bbc that it had gone to save the bacon that's a quote and that no pigs were harmed that actually wasn't my first uh, my first query but maybe it should have been um no i was actually thinking did it manage to record any steps on the pedometer before it pooped it out well the answer is yes because this pig the the one that uh, swallowed and and then excreted the pedometer, it wasn't even its own pedometer. It had eaten well, one... Presumably not. Well, it could have fallen off its leg, but it wasn't. It had eaten another pig's pedometer, all of which were recording steps. Oh, so it was a pedometer for the pig, because I assume yes. that maybe a pig farmer had one clipped to his belt to keep track of how far he's going throughout the day, and maybe the pig ate it from his belt clip. No, you'd have been incorrect. The reason the pig was within uh, swallowing distance of a pedometer is because they were all wearing them so it could, the farmer that is, could prove that the pigs were free range and had access to plenty of natural exercise. Oh, okay, well that's good. I didn't know this was a thing. I had no idea that something 
like this even took place. But that is the reason that these pigs had pedometers. Um, obviously, the pig was not meant to swallow one. Mm. And um, yeah, it rubbed Good roughage. Well, apparently so. I mean, I wouldn't want to pass one myself. No. I mean, one of a little Fitbit HRs probably wouldn't be that bad. Yeah. I actually had a look up at some other technology that's used on farms because my interest in this wasn't really that the that the barn burnt down or rather caught fire. That they were using the tech in the first place. It was that they were using... I know they've got trackers, you know, various kinds of, like, there's the internet of cows. Yeah. And um, there's various, like, basically suppositories that the cows are given and they basically stay in one of the cow's stomachs and it sends live information back about, like, stomach acid levels and therefore, eventually, the quality of the milk. Um so there's lots of yeah, loads of things like that. I think agriculture technology is is always really interesting, particularly if you extend that even further and look at things like automation on farms and that sort of thing, and like RFID scanning of animals as they come in to barns and milking houses and whatnot is is really good. There is there are robotic milking machines now because um, cows recognize humans as predators, and even if it recognizes a farmer, it's still Part of it is still being having its fight or flight response triggered because it sees uh, it sees a predator, and so drones have been used to monitor livestock because the cows, while possibly disturbed by the sound of a drone, doesn't see the drone as a predator. And the same is true for robotic milking machines. And and there have been installations done where the cow will walk into a facility, the robot will attach itself to the udders for milking and it will milk itself and then leave and no human needs to be involved and it's all to do with keeping the stress of the dairy cows to as low as possible and machines are a better way of doing it you know relative to a human because the cow doesn't see a machine as a predator i'm not sure that's always the case with drones though because most animals will see it as a predatory bird and certainly for uh sheep predatory birds means potential loss of lambs um, so they, that I think drones are usually seen, can be seen as, as threats by a lot of farm animals. Well, there are some others. And if you remember back on episode 158. Oh, I do. I know you do. Great episode. It, one of my faves. It was really one of my favorites. And I'm not being a sarcastic ass. Um, that's because that was the episode that I um, spoke to the guys from Canethus, which is the Dublin-based company that builds facial recognition technology for cows. You remember that? Oh, I do actually. Yes, yes, I do recognize. I do recognize. I learned that. some. I learned some amazing terms. Boss cow, being my favorite. Boss cow. Boss cow. Yeah. So the leader of the herd, presumably. It, the the AI could detect a boss cow as being a cow that, when it approached a feeding uh, station or a water station or a place for mm. warmth, others would move out of the way. The alpha cow. Basically, yeah, yeah. alpha cow. They have also, not they as in Canthus, but uh, scientists have used heart rate monitors on cows to measure stress levels yep. uh, from dairy farms. And I found there are some companies that sell things like treadmills, specifically for sheep and goats. Um, I don't like that because my assumption is that that's just to keep them moving to make the meat leaner in some way. And I don't think I like it, but at the same time, would the sheep mind? Would the sheep prefer to walk on a treadmill than to not walk at all? I mean, it's better than the alternative. Exactly. But but it but it no, it is not as good as them being outside. Yeah, that's, in a field. If if that is why they are doing it, there are a number it. of reasons why you may use a a, a treadmill. With well, a, with the a reason that this particular one that I looked up earlier on today when I was researching this story was to basically bulk up 
Oh, okay. Ahead, well, of, a, right, ahead right. of an auction. Oh, okay. Then that, that seems, yeah. You're basically that's just putting the sheep temporarily in a gym in order to make it yeah. hench. But they're not being fed pedometers, so that's good. Um, yeah. So uh, well done to those uh, men and women at the North Yorkshire Fire and Rescue Service for saving the bacon. Twenty years ago this week, Sony released a very special computer indeed, Andy. It had a processor that ran at just under 300 megahertz. It had 32 megabits of RAM. It had a 147 megahertz GPU. It had a 4 megabyte dock of video RAM. It had a DVD driver, standard USB ports. Could be connected to the internet with a network adapter. And it only cost £299, despite all of that being baked in. Do you remember what this computer was called? It was called the PlayStation 2. The PlayStation 2, yes. It would be a few months before it was available in Europe. November, actually. We had to wait ages for the PS2. Uh, but it was in March, uh, uh, in the year 2000, that the PS2 hit Japan's store shelves. Now, Andy and I were both teenagers. We were living at home at the time that this came out. Um, but we have some very, very fond memories indeed of this console. And I thought... On this, my visit to Scotland on this great Monday afternoon, uh, it would make a great topic of discussion. Yes. Reminisce a little bit. Um, uh, should we start with a quick quiz? Yes, I would like a quiz. Go on. All right, I'm going to... let's Hit let, me with your best quiz. What's uh, your best quiz? I know. Um, the quiz will begin as soon as the quiz music starts. Ah. There it goes. There it goes. Okay. What is... The total number of PlayStation 2 units that have sold worldwide since it was released in 2000, March 2000. I'll give you See, a. I, I, yeah, give me a, give me a clue because I actually don't have a context for. I don't know what actually would constitute a lot or, or not in this. Okay, well, let's let's say it is fewer than a billion units, okay. but it is more than 10 million. Yeah, so I I, I was thinking. Maybe somewhere around the 500 million. Okay, well, you, you, you'd be totally out of out of the ballpark there. It, the, the answer is 155 million units. Okay. But 155 million units, 300 pound a pop. That, that's, a, that's a lot, yeah. And as I say, like, I didn't know. I didn't have a, an idea. Yeah. If, if I'd have given it more thought, I would have gone for more like 100 million. Okay, question two. Um, do you know what the best-selling game on the PS2 was across its entire life? And I'll give you a clue. It is part of a consistently popular series, but you have to give me the, the title. I think it might be a Call of Duty game. Uh, you're wrong. Okay. Is it, it, is it, is it a similar, in a similar vein? It's, it's, not class, it's not a first-person shooter, but it is that level of big-budget production. Is it a sports sim? No. Hmm. I'll give you a clue. It is one of the Grand Theft Auto titles. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Is it Grand Theft Auto 4? It is... Is that San Andreas? No, GTA 4 was just GTA it, 4, wasn't it, it? If San Andreas is the right answer, then then yes, that's what I meant. Yes, it's... <laughs> yeah, San Andreas. Oh, I was right. Do you know how many copies it sold? I'm assuming fewer than the console <laughs> sold. So I'm going to go with 80 million. No, it sold 17 million copies. 
Yeah, I said, eight, the... I said 18 million, oh, so I was close. I was very close. All right, okay. Um, question three, then. Do you know how many games were released in total? And I'm going on the uh, the sum of the Wikipedia list of every game released for the PS2. Are you, so every game or every exclusive? Every game. Everything that launched that was playable. On the PlayStation 2, yes. Oh, honestly, I have no idea. If, uh, a thousand games. Four and a half thousand. Four and a half thousand, wow. Four thousand five hundred games, wow. according to the Wikipedia. I wonder entry. if anyone's played every single one of them. I can't imagine so. I really can't. Because, I mean, bear in mind, if you played one of those games a day, you would still not have played every single one by now. Because that would be 365 games a year. I mean, no, 10 years. Yeah, you could have done it by now, I suppose. Yeah, but it would have taken you longer than the number of years that the PlayStation 2 was being manufactured. Because I think it stopped being made around 2013. Mm. Um, Also... Just quite the waste of time. Yeah. Do you remember how its processor, which was very special at the time, was marketed? It had a brand name. Oh. It was sort of powered by, you know... Um... Tick-tock, tick-tock, oh. The Emotion Engine. Yeah, I was going to say the Emotion Engine. I was going to say the Emotion Chip, but I thought that was... Uh, an Xbox thing to do with backwards compatibility. No. We're okay. going to come to backwards compatibility. Right, okay. Yeah, I, I, emotion chip is what, I, is what I was, is honestly what I was going to say. Okay, well, you, you have half a point, but, but still wrong. No, 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 I get no points because I, I didn't say that. Fair enough. Um, and then the final question, in, in, in before I kill the quiz music, is do you remember the memory card capacity of the PlayStation 2. Now, I'll give you a clue. I mean, sure you remember that the first PlayStation, it was a megabyte. One megabyte, I do remember that. One megabyte memory card, even though no game ever used all of the memory it could have. But eight megabytes was the answer to this one. I never really gave you a chance to answer that, did I? No, and I was going to say 16, so I'd have been wrong anyway. Um, okay, well, very well, very good on that quiz. I mean, you didn't really score any points. No, I think I got, I think I got a big fat zero. But it was the journey. That but at least zero is quite literally a nice round number. So I, I, I at least feel kind of satisfied in, in that sense. Yeah. And let's be honest, I think I've got strength in other in other areas. Like, you know, I feel I have emotional in- intelligence. Would you say you've got an emotional engine? Yes. Okay. Let's move on to talking about... I know about birds and, and, and things, if not always okay. PlayStation 2. You, I mean, you didn't know that you were basically just doing a segue because you don't have my script in front of you, but I was going to um, name some of the launch titles that came out at, when, when it first launched in Europe. Uh-huh. And the first one in my list was Donald Duck Quack Attack. Oh. And you just said... I know about birds. Birds. Yeah, but yet I wouldn't have guessed that that was one of the launch games. Some of the other games that came out uh, when the PS2 launched in, in the UK included Time Splitters. Yeah. Buster Move 4, and I know that my wife is a massive Buster Move fan. She's very, very good at it. Uh, Ridge Racer 5, Tekken Tag Tournament, Theme Park World, Mm. which was excellent, uh, and Ready to Rumble Boxing Round 2. Okay, great. Yeah, so some of those would... uh, Some some absolute classics in that list. Actually, um, Time Splitters was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, no, I mean, we had some favourites in our in our household back when we first got ours. Do you yeah. remember any? Uh, 
I mean, Final Fantasy was always the game. I think Final Fantasy X in particular was was the one that like we sort of combined. We always did play through. I think you were the one who had the controller because you had to always be in charge. You're that sort of person. Yes, you're that sort of person. But um, I remember enjoying because it was obviously so story driven. It was yeah. always really nice to just play through in the same room. Sometimes when we got mum's biggest mixing bowl and made the whole bowl be a cup of tea so that we could just dunk mugs in and just have lots and lots of tea i don't want to ruin your memory particularly that was final fantasy 8 it was final fantasy 8 which was on the ps i'm trying to just for for, for the sake of a good narrative i'm trying to combine different final fantasy playthroughs into one playthrough but yes i do know it's final fantasy 8 well, Final Fantasy X was a, a really interesting... It was a landmark title. It had a huge budget. I think the budget for it was $40, 50 $60 million or something, which was enormous for a game at the time. Um, but it, I mean, it utilized motion capture and full voice acting that was synced to lip movement, yeah. which was one of the thing. It was like a real thing to sort of see 3D faces animated with lip sync mm. um, at the time. And that was something that the Final Fantasy X did and the PS2's emotion engine was a real big selling point um, which just made Tidus's laugh on that occasion all the more weird because it was actually voiced by a real person rather than some weird robot who had only been sort of half told what a human laugh was good use of the word half because that brings me to the next half life yep half life um this was a really interesting release on the playstation 2 because it was a, a port initially being developed uh for sega's dreamcast specifically half life decay Mm. which was a um sort of an expansion pack and it was it was cancelled the the port was cancelled for the dreamcast and work was moved to the ps2 and i loved it for two reasons one you, i don't believe you could get half-life decay on any other platform i think it was only on. i never P- played decay yes you did because the main reason i loved this is that it was a co-op half-life and you and i played it together all oh, right it, 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 then yeah. let me let me just take this out and you can decide which one to use in the edit oh i loved playing decay Okay, thank you. Um, but it, it expanded the original story, uh, but it had two female protagonists as opposed to the original game, which was almost an entire sausage fest of men in lab coats or men with guns mm. or men with guns in lab coats. But yeah. uh, Half-Life Decay was a PS2 exclusive and it was Half-Life with ladies. Um, some other games that I think was uh, were, were very popular for us, uh, the Tony Hawk series, yeah. Pro Skater 3 and 4 and Underground, I think, was on PS2 as well. Uh, yes, Underground was, I think, yeah. Oh, was Underground PS3? Mm, I think Underground. I think 3, 4 and Underground were, were on there. I was never any good at those games. Silent Hill 3 yeah. was my favorite of the Silent High that appeared on the PS2. Um, and there was also one I spent a huge amount of time playing, which was Sonic the Hedgehog Mega Collection Plus, which had <laughs> Sonic 1, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles, Sonic Spinball, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, which was the very clever version where on the original Mega Drive... You uh, could... You could daisy chain you could cartridges. Daisy, exactly, and you got a slightly different character set and things. Sonic Chaos, which was previously only available on the Game Gear, and that was available in that, as well as a bunch of other Sonic games um, and things. So it was, a, it was a really very, very diverse uh, console in terms of its game library, but it also had some really, I think, under, under-remembered facets to it. Jazz? So, well, some of the models had a Firewire socket, and you could add a, you could plug a hard drive into it. It had for what reason though? Because this wasn't this wasn't at a time when you installed 
games to consoles. So, so it, what what was the benefit of having a, a of external storage? Well, what it actually did is you installed the game from the disc onto the hard drive, so it would speed up loading times for the games. Right. Okay. Simple as. Do's la fair. Um, while we're on the topic of gaming, I haven't finished. All right. Please, can I finish? Um, the other things, uh, notable facts, is it was a benchmark for backward compatibility, which we really don't see anymore. Mm. Almost all PS1 games would run on the PS2. Yeah. You could use original, uh, until I think now, I think about it, didn't they, on the PS Slim, they took the chip out because it basically had a PS1 chip embedded on the the thing. And I think they got yeah, rid of it. Yeah, I think you're right. And on, yeah, one the of them, they, it ones. got rid of it and, and it wasn't backwards compatible. And there was a big stink about it, rightly so. But in... But in uh, in, uh, initially you, you could you could also use the original sony playstation memory cards you could use the original controllers but and it was also a dvd player which frankly and i think that was our first yep it was dvd no it wasn't the first dvd player the first dvd player must have been the tiny pc that we bought maybe because we got cool runnings as a dvd with it which i remember being the first dvd we had in our house yeah and we got that with the PC we bought from Tiny Computers in Meadow Hall in Sheffield. Yes, that sounds... So that was our first DVD player, but I believe our other first DVD player, some way say the second, is the PS2. I think the PS2 is a lot of people's first DVD players. Yeah. Um, but here is... Do you want, this is the most astonishing fact. Okay. I'm this... preparing to be fully astonished. Now, I thought I knew the PS2 pretty well, and it wasn't until I was doing some advanced research. It had been it... married already. It was way, way more interesting because, I mean, someone changed their name by deed poll to PS2, I think. So I'm sure somebody tried some people to are idiots. marry a console at some point. No, a very limited set of games, but one of them included Gran Turismo 4, was rendered or could be rendered at 1080i resolution. I don't think anyone knew the PS2 could do HD. I think fewer people ever got it to work, but it could render some titles in 1080i wasn't 1080p was interlaced not progressive but it was 1080i and to put it into context i think most of the games were rendered at somewhere between 240p and 480p do you have any fond memories of the playstation 2 what was your favorite game is there an underrated use of the ps2 that you think gets overlooked and that we should be rising on the next episode of the show do let us know hello at uktechshow.com The BBC wrote this week that the UK-led bid to break the world land speed record is under threat once more. How many times I've seen this story written in some form over the last decade, I've lost count. But Ian Warhurst, who owns the Bloodhound car that's been built to go beyond 800 miles per hour, that's about 1,200 kilometers an hour-ish, says the new money must come for the project this month or it will be wound up. This is the chap who rescued Bloodhound from administration um, about the end of 2018. The Bloodhound car has already hit 628 miles per hour. That was last year during some trials, and it was powered only by a jet engine. But with the addition of a rocket, the vehicle should beat the existing world record, which is 763 miles per hour. 
Uh, that won't happen, though, according to Warhurst, unless financing is there to support it. He told the BBC that, quote, we've shown what this car can do, and there's been huge support for it. But although I've had lots of conversations with people who are interested in taking it on, we haven't yet been able to get the money on the table. And the car's been privately funded since it was launched in 2008 by then science minister and car enthusiast uh, Paul Drayson, who I think is a lord. I think he's Lord Drayson now. Um, and it was meant as a as a way of getting kids engaged in STEM subjects, according to the BBC. There was a charity that was set up to run in tandem with its development program and use the sort of model rocket cars uh, to teach physics and things related to Newtonian laws of existence. Making a car go fast. Yes, exactly. However, the reason I particularly wanted to talk about this is I, I remember the first time I ever saw anything about the Bloodhound was during my very first week at Wired, and that would have been, I think, late 2009, maybe the beginning of 2010. So that's a decade ago. Yeah. And I remember thinking then, like, this is a kind of a cool idea, but how long is this going to go for? And here we are, 10 years later, mm. still hasn't been, still hasn't done what it was intended to do. It's almost died several times. Yeah. They still need more money. And I just... Whenever this comes up, I'm just thinking, like, let it die. Yeah, it's. It, I, I think it's. It's a weird project because I'm the same. Like, I've covered this for CNET many times. I, in fact, in its early days, I went to their their headquarters, which at the time was basically a, just a big garage in an industrial estate outside of Bristol. And I saw it. I saw the car, and I met the their driver, Andy Green, Wing Commander Andy Green, to give him his proper title. And it was it was a thing where they had their partners were. Well, firstly, it was a big military thing, like a lot of that. But Rolls Royce were providing the engines uh, and the rockets because they make them. Uh, no, sorry, Rolls Royce were doing some of the, some of the engines, and uh, the rocket was a uh, I think it's Bombardier, the company that makes those. Anyway, and then Bombardier, I think it's Bombardier. Pronounced. They make the trains. They do make trains as well. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, Rolls Royce were partners, and Jaguar um, were partners, and they had all this other this stuff going on. And it's been really interesting, but it's it hasn't really like they keep they, so they keep sending me press releases, and the PR people have been talking to me, and I, and I and I after that, the next time I kind of saw anything with it was when they did their first actual speed run, which was down in uh, in Cornwall on one of the airstrips, and I went down to go and photograph it and and see it in action, which was the first time I'd see it moved, and it was great, but it only did like 150 miles an hour or something like that, and like I've driven faster than that. In a in a regular car on a regular road, so it was like okay, fine, you're 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 getting there, but we need to now see it actually do something. Oh, they want to do they want to do the actual race in Africa, I South think. Africa, the Hackskeen Pan, yeah, and okay. and but it was due to happen that was due to happen in 2018, and because of the funding issues, they haven't done it. And a, a lot of me is a little bit cynical of like well what kind of what's the point and you know if it's if it's costing so many millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds which and that's is, where my head is at yeah for what it's worth on the other hand it has it is arguably of an incredibly good the whole point as bbc said is that it's a learning exercise to take it around schools and so a big part of of what they do is actually they visit schools to teams they visit schools they talk to them about what's involved in engineering and science and how you can get into engineering and science and giving kids a tangible object like a car like that something to look at and go wow that's cool isn't that amazing to get them into 
uh, into STEM subjects, I think is important. I think it's very important, but is the lesson also equally not, why not spend 12 years pumping millions of pounds into something that hasn't yet done what it set out to do? That seems like an equally but converse... Yeah, I I would agree there are also other ways, because I know that other UK companies like McLaren, for example, I think that's another good example of how they can achieve the same thing, and I believe do to an extent but without having to pump money into projects that aren't going anywhere in that mclaren obviously make really really cool exciting supercars and you know you you go to a school with either with a car or at least with branding and pictures of the cars and say hey look we literally make this in this country and here's our amazing factory that's amazing you want to get into science here's how you know this is what you can do you can make these cars you can design amazing supercars and you can test them and you can put them in wind tunnels and do this stuff basically everything that bloodhound's doing except bloodhound is just one project whereas at least other companies like mclaren actually they are making cars they are doing the thing they're setting out to do so i i don't yeah, I, I I totally get its value as a learning exercise, but I just kind of feel that, well, has it gone too far as learning exercise and can kids not get excited and energized about science and tech in other ways, which is just a more efficient use of that money? And and that's and that's I think where where I'm at is that I'm not doubting the fact that the car's already hit, you know, hundreds of miles an hour. The people behind it are I know are very passionate. I actually forgot that you'd done that story before we started recording but i remember i remember yeah, now. So I and, did I know too. That- and then when i went to the Cornwall one yeah we did more interviews um with the team more interviews with andy with andy green um and the and the people who own and run the project you know, and, and, and they're talented they're obviously very very talented people but i just look at where money could be going and the length the protracted time that this has gone on and still no end in sight and ultimately if it does that's the thing that's going to kill it isn't it because you and me we're we're the people who are going to be really keeping this going is media yeah and keeping media coverage excited and writing about it and putting it in front of the public and saying hey look at this thing isn't it cool if we're not doing that because it's been going on too long and they're just not doing anything with it it's not getting off the ground then it's not going to get that funding and not that i'm saying don't get wrong i'm not suggesting that we are literally we, me and you Nate we do not have a responsibility to keep it alive by covering it but that is kind of what it's going to fall on you know if if the companies who want to sponsor it think they're also going to get a shed load of media coverage as a result then they'll sponsor it but they're not and that's why they're not doing yeah and there, I mean, there is definite arguments to make that that a sponsor the return on investment probably for sponsoring something like that if it did what it is intending to do would be amazing for that one-off day yeah but it's 12 years and still hasn't happened yeah Um, and the amount of money they need is so significant that like i I don't know so i know jaguar was a was a sponsor but i I don't know any of the details i don't know if whether they gave a lot of money to it but i know that um a lot of all their cars were used for um just things like the safety cars, the test cars, loads of stuff. It was all F types, F paces, um, Land Rovers, and stuff, which were which were being uh, which were being used. Um, so, but I don't know whether Jaguar also gave actual funding money, or if it was okay. Well, we want our name on it, and here's a load of cars to mm. use with the project. I've no idea. Well, we'll include a link to the show notes, uh, rather a link to the BBC story about this in the show notes. And I, I do encourage people to to look it up, um, both that story and the history of the car, because it is an amazing piece of technology. But the, the cynic in me just thinks enough's enough and 
move on take the lessons that we've we've learned but but let's let's start something else there are other ways to keep kids excited about science i think than a protracted million multi-million pound project that still doesn't do what it says it was going to yeah you're used to hearing the smooth velvet sound of nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup Topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. text message keeps you posted about things going on in the uk world of technology um and things relevant to people in the uk let's listen though to the voice of mr tom merritt he's going to tell us what we've missed globally this week this week on daily tech news show we looked at a study that found what benefits happiness and what disadvantages lack of news awareness people got by quitting social networks and another study shows that natural language skills are a slightly better predictor than numerical skills at learning the python programming language what do we make of these studies and more i promise it's not just all companies canceling things because of the virus join us at dailytechnewsshow.com i must also thank andy cnet.com um You've got your fingers in all kinds of pies. What would you like to choose as a slice of one of those pies for people to sample? Uh, go and subscribe to and watch my photography YouTube channel. It's all behind the scenes on the photography I do. Uh, that is Andrew Langson Photography. Uh, you can find that on YouTube or maybe um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram with at Battery HQ, where you will easily be able to find links to my YouTube channel. But if you do anything else, my YouTube channel is a thing to go and look at. We'll have a link in the show notes at uktechshow.com and in the MP3 description of this episode. So um, have a look for that. We'll include some links to some genuinely very good stuff. I find Andy's videos to be, to be very entertaining, quite relaxing as well. Um, you've this got week's to, one is very relaxing. Which, which, which one is that? You have to go and watch it. No, tell me, which one is it? Uh, I go and do um, a shoot on the beautiful Crammond Island just off the north coast of Edinburgh. Oh. Beautiful. I haven't seen that. No, you haven't? No. Okay. It's lovely. Right. It's only nine minutes, but it's very B-roll-led. It's very calming and soothing and lovely. Okay. Well, I'll go and check that out and uh, hope listeners do as well. And thank you to patrons for supporting us. We have a great extra message on the feed. And I say great, I, I mean, I was happy with it, but we've had a load of feedback about it. Had our first ever piece of recorded audio feedback, specifically in response to um, to one of the extra messages that we've done. That was all about multi-monitor setups, how I my work setup differs from my home setup and my studio setup and my on-the-road setup. Um, that seems to have generated great response. So uh, that's available to everyone at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. It's not a podcast, though. It's an addition to a podcast. Um, and that's it. Bye. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.